I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and I'm really excited about our next guest who I've not interviewed before or had a conversation with. Well, we've had conversations, but we haven't done, you know, an interview on mental health news radio. So we're going to talk a little bit about a topic or maybe a lot about a topic that is our still our most popular downloads, of course. But first I want to say thank you, Meredith Miller, for agreeing to come on the show. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And also for joining our network with your podcast, Inner Integration. I love that. I'm very excited to be a part of your network now. <laughs> so I heard about you through a listener of my show. I love her. I don't know if she well, she didn't give me permission to say her name, so I won't say her name, but she'll know who I'm talking about. You know. <laughs> I do. I love about. her too. <laughs> She's amazing. She's referred to quite a number of people over and they're always incredible. So all she has to do is say, talk to this person. And I don't even, I don't <laughs> care who it is. I'm like, yes, of course, absolutely. So thank you to you uh, out there in listener land for doing that. But um, tell our listeners a little bit about your background and, you know, what it is that you talk about and, you know, what your specialty is. So my background is in holistic healing. I did that for about 10 or 12 years before I ended up honing in on my niche market and topic, which is the narcissistic abuse recovery. Um, but my original career, I've had many careers. My original career was teaching Spanish. And that's what actually ended up opening up Latin America to me. I was able to study with some teachers there. And now I also do, I do bilingual work. So I do my videos in English and also in Spanish. And I also work with Spanish speakers. Fantastic. I noticed that and I love that, that you reached that audience. So that's wonderful. Are you going to do some podcasts in Spanish as well? Um, eventually. For right now, it's going to be in English. And in 2019, we're going to launch the website in Spanish, all my courses in Spanish and mm -hmm. new social media networks in Spanish. And then probably about a year after that, maybe we'll get to a podcast in Spanish. You do have to take these things in stages. I know I did the whole 
I'm going to do a book, launch a podcast network, uh, do webinars, do this, do that. And I'm going to do it all the year that I launched my network. And then I quickly realized by uh, November, this is a really good way to burn out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that you're like, and then in 20, 2020, we will do this because that's a much better self-care way to do what you're doing. It is because, you know, we have to lead by example, right? So that's right. the whole thing. I teach the self-care piece. That's the huge part of the recovery after narcissistic abuse. So if I'm not walking that talk, if I'm not making time for my self-care, then I'm not really leading by example. That's so true. So true. I will knock on wood that is my skull and, re and remember that you just said that for my <laughs> own self. <laughs> So why um, why did you move into obviously there's you know a history there and an experience of your own why did you move into you know this specific um, market which has blown up in the last couple of years uh, the narcissistic abuse recovery space it really has and that's wonderful that there's so much information out now um, but that that pivot took place at a coffee house in Portland in December of 2015 when I was meeting up with my friend from high school who had moved to town, we were talking about, you know, his marriage and my life. And all of a sudden he goes, you really know a lot about this narcissist stuff. And I was like, <laughs> wow, that's it. Like, that's the calling right there. That's the niche I've been looking for. And why? Because my whole life has been founded upon this. You know, it started early in childhood within within my family and then it continued into adulthood and all of my relationships like not just my intimate relationships but it also affected friendships there were bosses there were coworkers there were neighbors it was just all around me um, and like many people who stumble upon a keyword maybe it's narcissistic abuse maybe it's narcissist maybe it's psychopath some keyword that brings them to that information and then once they dive down that rabbit hole, it's like their whole life suddenly makes sense <laughs> because yeah. they realize it was always there. Yeah. What do you think about the people? Because this is something that I've I've definitely gone back and forth with guests about some um, clinicians, some of them life coaches, some survivors that when you have a lot of them in your life and you're you know, you're you have this awakening where finally you understand what it is. And then it's a process of really doing a lot of housekeeping. And I've had some instances with people that say, oh, you, you're, you just, it's your fault, Kristen, because you keep attracting these people and letting them in. And to a certain degree, I accept that because I'm responsible for what goes on in my life. But in another way, I was like, you know, I am really tired of being shamed <laughs> for this. So what is your take on that statement or what I just said? So I think I think it's a little bit of both. There's there's the one side which is called that repetition compulsion, right? Where you're talking about what you're attracting into your life. And I think that our subconscious magnetizes those experiences to us because we're trying to work out the earlier life experiences with almost that exact same pattern, just different faces. Right. So until we deal with that, it's like, it just keeps coming at us and coming at us. Now, to be careful not to shame people for that, like it's not their fault. It wasn't their fault what happened in childhood. It wasn't their fault what happened to them by these abusers. However, now 
we have the responsibility and the empowerment of waking up and grabbing the reins of our destiny in our hands again and transforming things. Now, that doesn't mean that as you start to heal yourself, you're never going to meet one of these characters again, a narcissist, a manipulator. I mean, one, I believe the population density around those of us who have grown up with it, I believe the population density of those characters is higher around us simply because that's the familiarity. You know, it seems like there's more people around us in our lives. And then we start weeding those people out. We start setting boundaries. We get really clear on what are red flags? What are my standards? What's acceptable for me and what's not? And then we weed those people out. And then people tend to go through that early phase of isolation because they realize they were just surrounded by these people. And it's better to be alone than to have people like that in your life. Right, like a right. den of vampires that are in, <laughs> that are in in your life everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, totally. absolutely. Totally. And I think the key then is, you know, not to shame yourself and not to let anyone else shame you about quote unquote attracting these people into your life. Like, yes, they are attractive because they're working something out, but the empowerment is to be able to recognize it in the moment when it's happening and not let it in you know, and that's the empowerment. So if we can recognize that, and that's more than just knowing the red flags, that's one piece of it, is knowing what it looks like, being able to look for that. But in the moment, when it shows up, the only thing that matters is your self-trust, because you can cognitively, intellectually understand all the red flags as well or better than any expert in the field. But if in the moment you doubt yourself, and you doubt your intuition, and you doubt your perception of that red flag, and you start to rationalize it or believe the manipulator and how they're trying to distort reality around you, that's where you're gonna fall in it again. So it really comes down to that inner work of rebuilding the self-trust, the self-esteem, the self-worth, the self-confidence, the self-love, so we don't keep falling into that again. Yeah, I think too, you know, I've learned so much from each one that's come in. And like you, I grew up steeped in this. So a lot of years of this kind of stuff going on and me having really, well, that was just how people are, because when you're raised in it, that's your world of, of experience. So doing that housekeeping in my 40s was really, really good for me. I learned so much from it. And I learned how to have self care and how to say, you know, that behavior is not acceptable. And I have the right to determine what's acceptable behavior around me. You know, that that's a a God given right to anyone. And we when we've been, our boundaries have so been completely ignored or trampled on as a young child learning what a boundary is as an adult is a huge (laughs) mountain to climb because you just don't even know what it is it's like what a what it sounds great in theory but how do I even begin the steps to practice it so how do you start with people where they just grew up with let's say parents who absolutely had no boundaries with with them as children So that's really tough. And that's how I grew up as well. So one of the things that I help people understand at the beginning is not only is it your right to set boundaries, it's also your responsibility. 
because no one else will do that for you. And the tricky thing about boundaries is that it's like, it's like there are these imaginary lines and we don't know where that line is until someone crosses it. And then it's like, whoa, <laughs> there needs to be a boundary there. There needs to be some kind of protection there. So boundary lessons are always learned the hard way because it's always learned when someone violates that line that either we didn't know was there or we didn't know we had the right and the responsibility to protect. So I teach people when they're starting from zero, like they've never had a boundary in their life, they didn't know they were even allowed to, the very first boundary I teach them is the boundary of no. Mm -hmm. And I had gone to this growth summit a few years ago and Dean Graciosi is a motivational speaker and real estate investor. He said on stage, successful people say no 80% of the time. And I was like, mm. well, no wonder. That's why I'm so unsuccessful. <laughs> like I'm saying <laughs> yes to everything. And oh. if I'm saying yes to everyone else, I'm saying no to myself. Mm. So that whole perspective has to be turned around and, and people need to know that they have a right and the responsibility to say no. And that's really hard at first too, when you don't have that self-trust piece. So you're in the moment and someone invites you to do something or they ask you to do something and you don't even know how to say no or even if you should say no because you feel like you should say yes. So I teach people when they're when they're in that early stage is if you don't have the answer yet and you're not sure in the moment, buy yourself some time and tell the person, let me get back to you on that tomorrow or let me get back to you on that on Friday. And that gives you that time to go home because usually what happens to people who don't know how to say no in the moment is they'll say yes and then they'll go home and hours later, they're ruminating and ruminating on that. And they're like, oh, why did I say yes? I really didn't want to say yes to that. I really wish I didn't say yes to that. But they're already committed. So when you buy yourself that time, it gives you that space and that distance to say, okay, I really need to say no to this. This isn't going to be okay for me. Right. So that, that's where I would recommend starting. Yeah, that's really good advice. And that made me think of a million things, of course, one of them being when you're an entrepreneur, obviously, you are one as well, and you're building something you I have learned that, you know, there's a lot of yes involved in getting a, you know, something going. And when you didn't grow up with boundaries, <laughs> you can get yourself in some interesting situations with people, not just on a personal level, but on a professional level as well. Mm -hmm. And um, what I still get caught up every so often, but I, what I measure my success on is I just don't do the whole ear horrible. Here it is again. When are you going to learn? Does not what I do because that doesn't, that doesn't help me in any way, shape or form. I just say, okay, got it. See this. This person presented themselves very, very differently. Didn't figure it out until I, you know, until they revealed themselves, which with some people, this takes time. They're good at what they do. But how easily am I able now to get out of the situation? How easily now am I able to back out of it? And how quickly did I see what was really going on? That's my measure of success now. Not, oh, you're horrible, Kristen, because yet another one, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really important not to beat yourself up about this because that just keeps reinforcing those old belief systems. Like if you grew up with this kind of abuse in the household, you were taught that stuff all your life. You were taught you're not good enough. You're taught you're doing everything wrong. So you don't want to keep going on that same dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you don't, I think too, it's important to go to the root. So for me, it was my parents go to the root and find out where did this start? Who was the, who was the originator of this for me? And it was really easy for, and I'm not, you know, trying to trash my parents. I just, this runs rampant through generations of families and hopefully one generation finally says enough and traces back the steps and says, okay, let's maybe not have a next generation of this. But, um, but it was really important for me to do that, to go, okay, okay. I see who the original one was that that's where the issues stem from. And I need to work there because I'm taking out the wounds that I'm needing to heal with other people, which sometimes that's what people are there for in your life. But now we can get to the core of it. Does that make sense? Totally. It is really important to go back to that original wound and to be able to identify that and, you know, that question of who started it is really interesting because so for us, from our vantage point, it's like, okay, well, it was, it was our parents or one of our parents and depending on the situation or, or maybe the grandparents, but it's like this endless game of dominoes. You know, that legacy of abuse is that transgenerational pattern that gets passed on generation after generation after generation. And it's really hard to know like where it actually started and who started it. But the point is that every one of us, that's not a pass for those who have abused us, by the way, because every one of us has that choice as an adult to say enough, it ends with me. And that's where we change our lives, you know, and it it means we're not going to continue on that pattern either as abusers or as enablers of abuse and keep passing that on down our lineage. It's up to us now to stand up no matter what happened in the past. But yes, it is important to go back to that original wound that took place in childhood, which is usually a feeling. There's, there's some kind of feeling. So I would say maybe 90 some, a high 90 some percentage of the clients I've worked with who got into an adult relationship with one of these manipulators grew up in a household with one or both parents who are these manipulators. But there is a small percentage of people who didn't. But what I found though, is if they go back to their childhood wound, the feeling that took place there was similar to the feeling that they felt in the adult relationships, whether it was Mm -hmm. rejection or loneliness, something was familiar there. And there's, that's where we find the, the cue because if we can find the wound and put our finger on that and work through that, that's how we can transmute that wound into a new sense of purpose. Absolutely. It it can be the best gift that you, you know, or it turns into the, what you've, what you're dealing with, with a very, very difficult person, maybe even a character disordered person, if it's, you know, at that level, um, it can actually turn out to be a gift for you because of what you'll learn about yourself and you'll grow and heal a lot of wounds, you know, through that experience. And it's not your business at that point whether or not the other person is going to grow from it. <laughs> right. Just let them and Probably not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've, I've never in my experience and I've had a lot of them. I've never ever had one that I've heard about later or found out about that has had any kind of measure of, of growth. It's almost bizarre to Sometimes just out of, you know, running into people, if I've bumped into them, it's like, 
I'm walking back into exactly the same energetic space, the same kind of language, the same everything that I knew them way back then. And they're still there. Totally. Totally. I've never heard of one that changed, not either, not in my life and not in anybody else's life that I've worked with. And, you know, sometimes people will take them to therapy and they'll think, oh, that, that'll be, you know, what gets the person to really see what's going on and to change their ways. And they only get worse after therapy, if they even go. The overt types almost never go to therapy, but the covert types might go, like the sociopaths and the covert narcissists. And they, they use that therapy for one thing only, and that's to learn. And they learn where the cracks are in their mask. They learn where you know it's slipping out and they need to be more careful and they get better and better at being more sophisticated and stealth with right. their abuse. So it's much more dangerous actually to take them to therapy. And I've heard even of many situations where people, it's like they felt like they were ganged up against with the, therapi like the therapist. therapist. Yep. Yeah, because the therapist either didn't get it they were clueless because I, I've worked actually with a lot of clients who are therapists who had these sort of relationships. And they told me there was like one class on these personality disorders and you, you can't really understand what this looks like in real life when you're reading the DSM. Like right. that, that doesn't paint the picture. So they had no idea. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. So what happens is you can go to therapy with the narcissist or other manipulator, and either the therapist just doesn't know innocently, naively, because they were never really trained in that, or worse yet, the therapist is one. And then the person <laughs> yeah. walks out of there feeling extremely devastated and very confused and blamed for the problems in that relationship and told things like, well, you just need to be more accepting of your partner. Right. Yeah, it's been really interesting to um, also see a co you know covert narcissist who does go to therapy and they use that therapy as a weapon against the people in their lives because mm -hmm. many many covert narcissists are supreme victim you know they're they're victimizers but they play the victim card so well that's just mm -hmm. part of their mo and so they will go to therapy. And, you know, you wonder, well, you've been in therapy for how many years now and nothing has changed. You're actually having more broken relationships. You're having more issues, more problems in your life. What's been going on in that therapy? And it's because they're not there to change. They're just there to complain. And woe is me about all these things that are happening to them. And that's a therapist that just isn't, isn't 
they're, first of all, they're not realizing that, you know, what's sitting before them. Oh, I can't help this person. I need to find someone who can or would even try if they're helpable at all. And like I said, they use that therapy as their place to vent and, and bemoan all of the bad things that happened to them in their life when, you know, years later, you're like, you're still sitting in therapy and uh, I haven't seen any change. <laughs> right. Because therapy doesn't work if you're not honest with the therapist. That's right. Exactly. If you don't tell the therapist that you rage at your family, mm -hmm. um, that you cause chaos and, and so on and scream and have a lack of boundaries, then you're not really giving them a full picture of what the actual behavior is that's going on. No, but just like you said, they actually believe they're the victim. Yes, like, I think they really believe that. How do you talk to people and, you know, in your own experience where, I mean, they're, they're, I've met them all. Believe me, I've met them all. I've met the ones that absolutely know what they're doing <laughs> and they enjoy it and they love the game playing. And then I've met the other ones that they absolutely are clueless into their own behavior or their making a conscious choice to not examine it, even though they may have been told, listen, you're self-absorbed. You, this, you continually have the same things happen. You know, many, been many people have told them this, this, and this, and they've heard it all, but they don't do anything with that. They don't use it as a, you know, launching pad to, to let's stop behaving this way. And like you say, they absolutely are invested in this behavior what do you, how do you um, tell people to work with those people? Because you're never going to get, you know, there's evil. I know what I'm doing and I'm enjoying it. And then there's, they're just clueless to how they're behaving. So how do you deal with the victims that come to you and are in that kind of a situation? With the ones who are clueless? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same thing. Um, I don't know if you've heard of H.G. Tudor. He's a, he mm -hmm. describes himself as a narcissistic sociopath, and he creates the three levels of narcissists. He's got the greater level, which is the one who fully knows who they are, and they enjoy it, very sadistic, and then the mid-range, and then the lesser narcissist. So the lesser one is the clueless one. They're not as intelligent. They resort more to violence and aggression because they can't use their intelligence to manipulate as much mm. as the greater narcissist. Personally, I think the greater narcissist is far more dangerous to relationships and society yeah. than the clueless one because of how hidden they are. But those who are in relationships with the clueless type, the one who's more overt, because they lack the intelligence, it's more overt. They can't hide it as well it's usually a lot more clear that this person is violent, aggressive. It's usually a lot easier to recognize and to be able to walk away. And being clueless doesn't give them a pass. Um, no, and what's interesting is Dr. Simon talks about how that's actually the conscious part of the brain that's making the decision to manipulate people. So that means even the lesser narcissist, the one who seems to be clueless, even though they don't know who they are and they probably don't know this terminology or anything like that, I think to some degree they understand if I do A, person has B reaction. Like I can right. count on doing this and getting this reaction. And so they know they're still using that conscious part of their brain. They're making a conscious choice 
to abuse people, to manipulate people. So that's what I point out to them is even though it looks like they're clueless, it's like that's part of their thing. They're mm. still not going to listen when you tell them. They're just going to turn it back on you. They're not going to accept that feedback. And it's still the conscious part of their brain. So it's not a pass. Absolutely. It's not a pass. The devastation that comes from every level. I hadn't heard about the, those three levels, though, but I, I have heard of HG tutors. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I I every time I run into one, I think, okay. Inter- there's an interesting manifestation here. It's not different behavior. It's actually interesting how common the behaviors are. But because we're human beings, they just have different ticks and different you know ways that they go about their manipulation. But the further I get along, the um, the easier it is for me to spot them. And then also in some ways not so easy to spot them because I have this education now. And so some of them are just so much more skilled at what they do. And then I go, okay, got, got that behavior now in the tool bag. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of an interesting road to watch it when you have your toolkit with you from working with people like you. It is interesting to watch how that happens in what I found and what I found a lot of other people report too is like, so you start realizing what it is. And usually it's more of an overt type of person that suddenly brings it to your attention. And then you start paying more attention and you realize it's getting more and more covert. The manipulators that you're meeting are getting more and more covert and it's, it's harder to yes. see, but each, right? But each time yeah. you learn more about that and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't get that that was love bombing. It really seemed genuine. But now that I'm really listening, I can see how hollow and empty that sounds. Right. You know, these kinds of things. And so it's like your intuition gets more and more finely tuned to that. And then you can pick up this, this subtle, sophisticated style of abuse and manipulation much more easily. Yeah, you're right. They do get more covert as you go along. Whoo, I'll turn around mm-hmm. and go, oh. I see the pattern now. Got it. That you were good. That, that was that your right. spiel is pretty is pretty darn good. It got through my BS detector um, right. later than usual. <laughs> right. So how do you deal with them? Because I what I find with people that have been through this kind of abuse, um, they meet a new one and the person got in a little bit, not like others have in the past, but got in a little bit and it's like being re-traumatized by the first one and they go kind of into a freak mode about being very fearful of this person being, uh, they need to go on lockdown, all that kind of stuff. And they come out of that realizing that even though maybe they're meeting more uh, covert ones, they're, I find that the ones that come in now are way more afraid of me than I am of them. <laughs> I definitely go a, I definitely go to that triggered place for a little bit and then have to tell myself, nope, this is not the first horrible sociopath that I dealt with that broke all this open for me. This person is not that. But, you know, even going there, that's an adrenaline dump, all those things that happen to you from past trauma. So what do you tell people about the, you know, that when that does happen to them? So I love how you said that you realize now they're much more afraid of you (laughs) because that will that will happen where as you develop 
more and more of not just the awareness, but also that self-trust because you could have the awareness and they could still manipulate you in the moment, especially those really covert types. But when you have the self-trust to say, no, not buying it, no, and you put your foot down, that's when you see that look of fear in their face. Like they can't <laughs> believe it's not working. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you were mentioning how, you know, sometimes like, we, so we meet a new one and they get in a little bit because they're so covert and that, that re-traumatization that happens, that is the complex PTSD. And it does get worse every time because it's not like one plus one is two plus another one is three of these types. It's like an exponential factor in mathematics. It's like every time you meet one, it gets exponentially worse for that recovery from the PTSD. Yes. Thank you. Okay. It compounds. And that is the danger. And that's something that we all need to be very aware of is, you know, is this worth the risk? If I'm getting that little feeling that something isn't right and I don't have the exact proof yet, but I just know what I feel, is it worth the risk to keep going and re-traumatizing yourself? Or do you want to trust that feeling that you don't have external proof yet, but your proof is the feeling? And that's what I tell people is listen to that feeling, especially your body. Your body will tell you something is wrong if you learn to listen to your body in that way and act on it. And that's so important. It is. And that is such an act of self-care, too, because especially if you grew up with this, you were just self-care. Forget it. You are the least important person on the totem pole. And you were shown that over and over and over again. So to listen to that, what you're, you know, you're talking about that first hint of a warning, whether there's proof or not is so I've found it to be so validating of myself and my own feelings, which is now it's not foreign to me, but for years that was, that felt so weird because I just was never allowed to do that. Right. And like you said, it's so validating because every time you act on your intuition, you usually get the proof later. Yeah. You know, like, especially with this person. So let's say you meet this new person and you're just getting this feeling like, oh, this just feels like gaslighting. I can't explain it, but it feels like gaslighting. And you call it out and you see the reaction from the person. And right there, you can be 100% sure. Because if, if that is a manipulative person, they're immediately going to distort that, turn it around, blame you, shame you, attack you, take something that happened in the past, turn it all around, make you at fault for it, throw everything into that conversation. And then you, then you have all the proof you needed. You're like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, thank you for revealing yourself. From having to go through that again with someone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those those gut punches are not fun, not fun. But, you know, I find that the time it takes to recover is a lot less because of the skills that you learn from practicing self-care. So, yeah, the gut punch hurts, but it didn't it didn't knock me into a depression for months. Maybe, you know, I have a week of feeling not so great. It's in my mind a lot. Don't, this is horrible. Um, it feels awful. It, it's a fresh reminder of much, much more traumatized years, but then, you know, I'm busy with my life. I take care of myself, all of those things. And I go, okay, okay. You've ruminated about this enough. It's time to get back on the horse. So the recovery time is faster. Thank God. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Recovery 
is not measured by how many times you fall, but how quickly you get back up mm. after every time. That speaks directly to why it is so important to not shame anyone for you did this again. Right. In instead go, good for you. Look how quickly you figured it yes. out this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want to hear about how you keep having this happen. I don't, you know, and I don't hear that anymore, but I did for a few people. And I was like, that does nothing to empower me. Why don't oh, you no. say, this one only took you three months to figure out. Good for you. I see progress. <laughs> you know, that's easy for people to say when one, they've never been through it or two, maybe they have, but maybe they're in like the part of, let's say like stage two of healing where they're still in that isolation and they haven't started reintegrating with other people yet, with society yet, with getting back out there again. And that's easy for them to say, sitting on their sofa, hiding in their house and never taking any risks. Yes. When you're out there taking that risk, because in order to enter stage three, the thriving stage, you know, it, it comes through these interpersonal relationships. It's the only way. So if you don't take some risk, you're never going to have the reward. Thank you for bringing that up. So how do you do that? Because it is definitely interesting to be someone that is very public is uh, in me in the media you're out there i'm out there i chose this so i take you know whatever comes with it but it does mean that there's going to be what's the percentage of of high spectrum narcissists psychopaths and sociopaths now i i don't know what it is but that means that the chances of me bumping into them and them wanting to be a part of what I do, especially since it's so public and it's very shiny, it's a shiny object. And we all know that they're very attracted to shiny things. <laughs> the, the chances that I'm going to bump into these people are much greater than people who don't have this kind of a career. So, um, and you, you're out there too. So how do you navigate that path? Because there are even some high spectrum narcissists posing as other healers out there. Totally. <laughs> totally. I've had contact with some of them. <laughs> I've interviewed a few and I, when I figured it out, I was like, your show is off my podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> So, so how to deal with meeting people like that in this field? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that, you, you know, how you navigate that, those waters with that. I'm a little cautious about who I respond to and, and who I connect with, I guess, professionally as well as the people who just randomly send me messages. Maybe they saw me online. And my intuition now is at the point where I almost immediately know, like I can read this email. I just got an email the other day and I just immediately sense psychopath, like don't mm -hmm. even answer that, just, just don't. And on the surface, it could have looked harmless, but my intuition now is at the point where I can look at that email and it's like words and phrases are just jumping out mm -hmm. and my intuition is recognizing what that is and I just don't give that any time or energy. Okay. And let, let's say I do get involved as one a couple years ago, I had collaborated with one and this person straight up pretty much admitted what was going on, but I had already seen that this person was manipulating me and I immediately distanced myself from that person, never collaborated with them again, because that's just dangerous. And especially in this field, if you meet other professionals, 
they might come across as, oh, I just want to help you at first. Like, Let me help introduce you, you know, to my people. And then they, then you realize they're just manipulating you. Oh yeah. I had one interview me and, uh, and then I, it was put up for their own purposes and they literally, it was an hour long interview and they took it down to 12 minutes of only themselves. <laughs> Wow. Like, okay. Thank you, dude, for showing me who you are. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. and it just, you know, that one made me laugh because it was so obvious. But yeah, those covert ones that are not obvious, those are those are rough. Those are rough to navigate. But, you know, every time I do, I go, okay, what <laughs> do I need to go back and take a look at? Because it obviously needs some more work. <laughs> And the amazing thing is that sooner or later, people will reveal themselves. In Spanish, there's a phrase, la gente misma se pinta, people paint themselves. And so even the most covert type will eventually reveal themselves. And the more you know, and the more you trust yourself, that's going to happen a lot quicker. It's going to happen within the first month or two of having contact with that person, maybe even less than that. Yeah, and I, it's funny how some of them have said, gosh, you just disappeared. You know, we were talking, and then all of a sudden you weren't available. And I'm like, hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just really busy running this mm -hmm. network. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Well, I love what you do. I'm, I really am honored that you decided to have it be a part, um, you know, in a limited way, be a part of what we do. So tell our listeners where the heck they can find you. <laughs> so my website is innerintegration.com. And I also have a YouTube channel, Inner Integration. I've got a Facebook page and an Instagram as well. People are going to find a lot of free content on there. In fact, on my website, innerintegration.com, when they enter their name and email, they get a free three-part video course. It's my beginner's course that helps them from the ground up when they're just discovering what's going on and, and what can I do now. And so they get that free course that will help them a lot. And then I have tons of free content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and then now the podcast. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And you have like 100,000 or over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. So clearly, you're, you know, what you're telling people is very, very helpful, because it takes a long time to build up that kind of a following and you don't keep it if what you're putting out there isn't really great content. So my hat's off to you for that also. Thank you. I think a lot of my audience is also Spanish speaking because I do videos in Spanish too. And by the way, I have a book uh, called The Journey and it also has a, a translation to Spanish if any nice. of your listeners speak Spanish. Absolutely. Well, no, they don't. And that's why I'm so glad that you're on the network because we have my friend Paolo uh, Molino. He's a psychotherapist in Florence, Italy. So he's coming on and we'll be doing shows in Italian. He's done a few Aww. shows in Italian. And then my friend Matt speaks Spanish, but he's been super busy doing advocacy work. And then we have you who speak Spanish as well. So I'm, I'm really excited that we're expanding the network to include other languages um, than just English. Not that English speaking is bad. It's just just, I want, I want us to be able to, especially with these kinds of topics, be able to get it out there in many different languages. 
people are so grateful for that. They're they're just begging for more information. And most of the information out there is in English. So exactly. It's, That's it's wonderful. Why we that, I I hope I yeah. get people in that speak Portuguese and the you know, I mean <laughs> anywhere that you know because you're right most of the the information is in english and i will get people from you know a friend of mine that's in amsterdam and, and i'm like come on and do a show and and i will just sit there and record it because i won't have a clue what you're saying but okay. you know, come <laughs> on and speak dutch and talk about this because we you know we, let's have it in as many languages as we can so that's, that's great that's awesome. And, um, and again, thanks so much for agreeing to come on this show and um, talking about what you do. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. And I am so excited to be a part of your network. Well, thank you. And thank you, of course, to our listeners. Please go to innerintegration.com. Listen to Meredith's show. Oh my gosh, amazing. You'll learn so much. And of course, always thank you for tuning into our show, Mental Health News Radio. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.